glad that you are here with me in the last episode of the Sydney Eye Podcast in 2021. In this episode, I will give a review of the year, what guests we had, what topics we discussed, and what achievements we had in our research group and our plans for 2022. I will also chat with Professor Stephanie Watson, a Cornell specialist and the head of the Cornell Research Group at the University of Sydney Safeside Institute and the head of the Cornell unit at the Sydney Eye Hospital about the lessons from 2021 and the challenges from 2022. I am Maria Cabrera Aguas, a postdoc researcher at the University of Sydney Safeside Institute. Welcome to the Sydney Eye Podcast. Before we kick off our episode today, I want to say that I'm very grateful to you for the amazing engagement that we had in the last year. I released the first episode of this podcast in December 2020 as part of my Science Communication Fellowship from the Association for Research in Vision and Ophthalmology, ARVO. This organization is the largest and most respected eye and vision research organization in the world with nearly 11,000 members from over 75 countries. This podcast was commended as an outstanding outreach event. Please keep sharing this podcast with family, friends and colleagues and don't forget to review the podcast or engage with us on Twitter or Instagram or send us an email to seedipodcast at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast by clicking on subscribe and receive a notification when a new episode is released. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and YouTube. In the first episode of this podcast, I talked to Professor Stephanie Watson about corneal infections. We talked about that this happens more in people wearing contact lenses caused by a bacterium called Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Other causes are eye trauma, prior eye surgery, and history of dry eye or blepharitis. Symptoms include red, eye, red and sore eye, blurring vision, sensitivity to light, tearing or discharge. You can also see an ulcer in your cornea. And complications include loss of vision, scarring, infection of the whole eye, which is called endophthalmitis, corneal perforation or even loss of the eye in severe cases. In another episode, we, I again talked to Professor Stephanie Watson about corneal infections but caused by a virus called herpes simplex. This is one of the main causes of blindness in developed countries and individuals usually get it um, in the childhood but only 1% develop ocular infections. Children or adults can have this infection and it usually presents with a red eye associated with cold sores on the lips. If you also present pain in the eye or loss of vision, please see an eye doctor immediately. Recurrent episodes may cause scarring on the cornea leading to blindness. Check out our episode on this topic to learn how to prevent recurrent episodes. I also talked in another episode about antimicrobial resistance in eye infections. This happens when a bacteria, virus, fungi or parasites develop resistance to antibiotics that were commonly used to treat them. Some causes of this are overuse of antibiotics, incorrect, prescri incorrect antibiotic prescribing by clinicians, 
and lack of hygiene and infection control. The World Health Organization has recommended surveillance programs to monitor antimicrobial resistance. Our research group established a surveillance program in 2016 which has reported that most of the patients with bacterial coronal infections are still susceptible to the most common antibiotics. On a positive note, our group was awarded a grant from the Ophthalmic Research Institute of Australia to expand this program across Australia in 2022. I also talked to Annette Hoskin, a PhD student from our research group who has been working on an online eye trauma registry to, to document when and where eye injuries happen and to better understand how these eye injuries are managed and can be prevented. From an initial analysis, Annette told us that boys are more likely to suffer an eye injury when playing sports due to a risk of collision with other players. Sports with more risk of eye injuries are basketball, squash, badminton, rugby, and football. On the other hand, falls are the main mechanism of injury in elder women. Prevention strategies include hazard elimination, use of protection glasses, and education related to falls in the elderly population. In another episode, I talked to another of our PhD students, Dr. Jackie Tan, about his project on a new surgical technique, where a patch is stuck very strongly to the cornea upon laser activation, sealing full thickness corneal wounds up to 6 mm in size, with possible applications in closing leaking, penetrating corneal wounds after routine cataract surgeries, closing traumatic corneal lacerations from battlefield injuries, and replacing sutures during corneal transplantation. I also talked to Dr. Himal Kandel about keratoconus in another episode and with Dr. Pauline Koo about dry eye disease. Keratoconus is an eye condition in which the cornea has a cone-like shape as a result of thinning of the cornea. Normally it is diagnosed in the adolescence and is progressive until the age of 40. In early stages, glasses or contact lenses can correct the distortion in vision. And surgeries such as cross-linking or coronal transplantations may be needed in severe cases. The progression of the disease and its treatments affect the quality of life of the patient. The Keratoconus Outcomes Research Questionnaires have been used in measure quality of life in patients with keratoconus. It is a short and self-administered questionnaire available in clinics enrolled in the Safe Side Keratoconus Registry, for example, in the, eye, in the Sydney Eye Hospital. Dry eye disease is a common condition that happens when your tears are not able to lubricate your eyes. It occurs more in women and in advancing age. When you have inflammation of the eyelids, prolonged computer use, or um, systemic diseases such as Jogren syndrome, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, or, um, or use of medications for high blood pressure, depression, allergies, or for hormone replacement, among others. I also talked to them about the keratoconus and dry eye registries. These registries are part of the safe side registries, which is one of the most advanced ophthalmic registries in the world. The safe site dry eye registry will allow clinicians to enter information into the registry, for example, treatment used, individual patient reported outcomes, and adverse reactions. 
This information will have positive outcomes for patients, clinicians, government, health institutions and industry. Specifically in the case of dry eye, because usually once drugs are approved for treatment, there is usually no post-market surveillance. If you are an eye health professional and would like to enroll in the keratoconus or dry eye registry, please request access into safesiteregistries.org or send us an email and our staff will contact you. More on our year in review up next. Now let's welcome Professor Stephanie Watson, a cornell specialist and the head of the Cornell Research Group at the University of Sydney Safeside Institute and the head of the Cornell unit at the Sinai Hospital. Today, we're going to chat about the lessons we learned in 2021 and the challenges ahead for 2022. Thank you, Stephanie, for joining me, joining me again in the show today. Welcome again. Thank you, Maria. Glad to be here. Well, um, it is incredible how fast this year passed by, and I suppose to move forward to next year, it's important to stop and reflect on what we learned this year. And of course, we need to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions we face here in Sydney this year and the restrictions that we carry from 2020. So I wanted to ask you, what were the challenges you think we had as a research group and how we dealt with them? Look, yeah, there's a number of challenges. I think finding new ways to work because we spent a lot of time in lockdown. Um, but we still had important sort of research work that we wanted to do. Uh, and, you know, people around the world are still losing sight from corneal blindness. So we wanted to really continue um, to publish our work and to find new answers. Um, we found ourselves moving more to online uh, in terms of meetings, but also webinars, um, meeting other groups across the globe that maybe came to, became a little bit easier. Yeah, that, that actually that's true because uh, we we had, for example, the Kera Club because before we had face to face at the institute and now we move it to 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 a webinar. No, so what what was your thought about it? Yes, yeah, well, we had about well over three hundred people registering for the Kera Club, and they came from all across Australia. Uh, when we did, you know, Kera Club in person we'd have about 30 people that would turn up on the night. I mean, it was nice to see people and meet and chat, but we're able to reach a far larger audience this year using the webinar. Next year, we think we might do a hybrid. So you could have some people still on the webinar and others still able to meet in person. Yeah, that, that, that was a really exciting uh, project with the Kera Club. So I suppose for next year, we're going to do something similar for dry eye, for the dry eye registry. Yeah, that's been something I'm looking forward to, to planning for a while is to have a, a group or discussion chat for patients with dry eye to have, you know, our researchers and clinicians give them a little bit of an update on the latest research, what's available and provide a little bit of support because it is a condition that causes a lot of suffering around the globe. Yeah, we, we also, well, we started with this podcast as a... <laughs> as a project for my uh, Arvo Science Communication Fellowship. And then I'm very grateful for your support when we started the episodes last year. And then we continue with the other projects this year. So that was really exciting to, 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 look, to keep doing this. So um, also as a recap for uh, 
for our audience, what projects were able to complete this year? Yeah, look, we had a couple of exciting projects. Um, one, which I've just mentioned, which has been the Dry Eye Registry. This is a global uh, registry able to collect information on patients with dry eye and their outcomes from everyday practice. So normally when you see a, a clinician and they write their notes, their paper notes are on a computer and that's where they stay and they're used to manage the patient. But we're, with our registry, we're able to facilitate clinicians actually putting that data into something useful, something that they can use for their own audit and something we can use to answer key questions that remain unanswered in dry eye, such as what's the natural history, which treatments are better. Also, what benefits are there of the treatments to patients because the registry collects patient-reported outcomes. Um, some other wins this year have been with our keratoconus registry. Um, we've been able to find out the best ways to collect patient-reported outcomes so we can see the benefits of treatment We've also published on um, the best way to perform treatment such as corneal cross-linking in adult and paediatric age groups. Um, we've um, done further work looking at the natural history of keratokinus. Now, this is important because it sounds simple. It sounds, well, what does happen in a condition? But uh, And people might assume that that's well known, but it's not for all conditions and it's not for keratokinus. Patients with keratokinus, if their eyes are getting worse, can have a procedure called cross, corneal cross-linking. But without knowing who's going to get worse, it's hard to say who needs the treatment. Well, th that's true. We have uh, advanced so much with the keratokinus and now with the dry eye registry. So what do you think were the achievements of, for this year in our group, apart from completing these two projects? Oh, we've also got some really exciting work in corneal infection. Uh, and, um, and, and, the, and the students we've been supervising. So we've been working um, on herpes simplex and finding out whether the clinicians are treating patients as they should be according to the guidelines we wrote a few years ago and providing clinicians information on corneal infection. And Maria, that's something you've been quite involved in and leading, which has been great. And that's because many eyes are still lost from infection. One of our recent pub publications that's just come out documents um, eyes that have been um, lost due to infection in order to sort of highlight whether we can do things better to stop it happening. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, I've been very involved in the herpes simplex keratitis guidelines in the, and in the microbial keratitis in the BOS uh, surveillance program for antimicrobial resistance. And particularly we got um, an invitation from, from a university in Colombia to talk about it and then we are kind of expanding the guidelines internationally. So that, that was very exciting as well. And also, um, well, this podcast, it was well received from in Arbo. Yeah, they, they really like it. And, and it was an incentive to keep going. Yeah, no, <laughs> they, project. very popular with Arbo. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, we also had some Arbo webinars on stem cells. Uh, and that was great to put together. So we have been working closely with Arvo this year and, and I'm pleased to support their advocacy efforts as their chair of their advocacy and outreach committee. Um, you know, they do a lot of good work for our research. Well, uh, we're almost getting into two years into the pandemic. Uh, how do you think eye research has changed during this time? Look, I think there's probably... Been some changes for the for the good, and then some changes for the worse. I think it's been much harder to get laboratory. Uh, it's been much harder to get laboratory work done, 
um, because of the lockdown. We've been locked out of the labs for, you know, a large time now and it's hard to get continuity of projects when the labs keep opening and shutting, but I, I hope we're past that. Uh, in terms of good things, there's probably been increased connectivity internationally because it's much easier to um, arrange meetings at different time zones at the moment, which used to just happen at conferences. So less travel means more work being done on the ground. But sadly, there's also been a little bit less, um, uh, well, I guess, uh, collabor- well, not collaboration, but just uh, meeting of the minds and, and people getting together to share ideas uh, in sort of more informal settings that might help our research. Yeah, that, that's true, because we've been in quite a few um, conferences this year, well, virtual, because we weren't able to, to leave the country. But then when you are not there in, in person, it's really hard to keep up with the timing zone for us here mm-hmm. in Australia. So it's a shame. So looking forward to maybe traveling this next yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and for example, what changes do you think will remain going forward from all this from the pandemic? I think there'll always be this use of the online forum for meetings, uh, um, not necessarily conferences, but, you know, particularly for arranging research collaborations. Uh, I think that um, people will be more interested in, you know, collecting data to understand diseases. I think people have moved toward, I mean, it's been moving that way with the use of artificial intelligence, but people have, you know, spent a lot more time working on the data that they've got from their research when they couldn't get into the labs. Um, and um, I think it's also given us time to stop and pause and uh, recognise how important our own health is and how important the health of everyone is and why we need to continue our work to, to save sight. Yeah, because mainly the researchers have been focused on, of course, COVID-19 pandemic, but then we we cannot forget the other diseases yes. around there. Yeah. So, um, uh, also, what do you think are the trends in corneal research for next year? Like, kind of focus on disease prevention, treatment, or as you said, artificial intelligence, maybe? Yeah, look, particularly in terms of trauma. I mean, 90% of trauma, um, or 90% of eye diseases, sorry, is preventable. And eye trauma is a leading cause of corneal infection and corneal scarring. And so that's an area that really needs more done with prevention. And some of our research has been looking at um, what's happening internationally in terms of eye trauma. We've written about um, potential injuries from fireworks during celebrations. And we're using a platform called iGates, which is an international registry to collect data to find out more about how we can prevent eye trauma. Uh, we also need to ensure that treatment is correct. So once treatments get through randomised trials, they then go into the clinic. Uh, and then when they're in the clinic, they're used in different ways and we don't always know the outcomes. And so I think registries and um, and guide, and then using the data from the registries to form guidelines will be an important part of how we improve care in the future. Artificial intelligence has been growing and there's increasing opportunities to use it for diagnosing conditions and understanding the natural history of disease. Um, Also, you know, people are interested very much in regenerating the cornea in using stem cells to find new ways to do things. And one way we may achieve that is through um, nanomedicine. And I've been involved in recent initiatives where we're looking at how we can actually use nanobiotechnology to harness the potential of stem cells to treat corneal disease, which is pretty exciting. 
Well, that, that sounds very futuristic. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> With the nanotechnology. So, uh, so what are your projects in store for next year for, for the group? Well, yes, yes. So next year, look, I think it's going to be a great year. Uh, I think we really managed to keep things going despite all the challenges and we're sort of ready to really launch further uh, into what we've built the base of over the last two years. And that's improving outcomes for people with corneal disease, broadly speaking. Uh, we're going to have natural, national sorry, surveillance data for corneal infection. And we're going to have really great data from our registries um, that will inform natural history and treatments and treatment outcomes. And some of that data will be able to use for artificial intelligence. Um, we are going to continue our work um, with stem cells and with nanobiotechnology. And I think that could lead to some really exciting uh, new ideas for further investigation. But most importantly, we're going to continue to train and teach the next generation of eye researchers. Um, Maria, you've been supervising some students uh, recently as well. And um, you probably recognize the importance of building up those skills so they can go on and continue with the eye research uh, after we've gone, but I'll be gone sooner than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's a great experience uh, supervising other students now with the dry eye registry, with the herpes simplex keratitis audit. So it's a great skill to, to build over the years for sure. So I'm finally, um, now that we're getting into the Australian summer. Do you have any advice for our audience on how to look after their, their eye health during the Christmas period and the Australian summer? Yes, I think they have to look out for sun and sand. And so sunglasses, um, wear them as much as you can when you're outside and the wraparound sunglasses are best because they'll keep the wind off to stop drying, keep sand out of your eyes and protect your eyes from the sun. Look, sometimes at Christmas time, people can think um, that they're ready to do a lot of DIY around the house. We've found eye injuries can occur with that, so remember to wear your protective eyewear. Wear them whenever you're going to be doing something that might risk your eyesight. Um, and contact lenses. Don't leave them for too long and best not to swim in them. That way you'll reduce the risk of getting an infection. Yeah, well said, because <laughs> people are wearing more and more contact lenses and sometimes they forget to take them off when swimming yeah, or something like yeah. that. So then. They're not doing the best. Yeah, that's right. I always say it's important to have a good pair of glasses. I mean, people sometimes that get infections don't actually own glasses. So as well as the contact lenses, you know, have a nice pair of glasses with nice frames so you feel like you wear them. Yeah, exactly. So, well, thank you, Stephanie, again, to join joining me in the show after some months yeah. <laughs> the last time was in March but then it has been an exciting journey this year with the Sydney Eye podcast and looking forward to continue next year so we wish all the audience a well, good uh, Christmas break and then yeah. for sure we'll see you next year Stephanie uh, thanks again Maria it's been great I've been listening to the podcast this year and I think it's been really great and I wish everyone a happy holidays thank you so much thank you Before closing this episode, I would like to congratulate Dr. Himal Kandel for his Early Career Alumni Award from Flinders University in Adelaide, and to Dr. Pauline Koo for completing her PhD with the University of Sydney. We will come back in January with new episodes about new techniques for treating eye injuries, updates on the keratoconus and dry eye registries, clinical trials for conjunctivitis, and much more. 
please stay tuned. I am Maria Cabrera Aguas. Thanks for listening to the Sydney Eye Podcast in 2021. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, you are invited to do so, to receive a notification when a new episode is released. Please keep sharing this podcast with family, friends and colleagues. If you have any questions, comments or suggestions, please send them to sitipodcast at gmail.com and connect with us on Twitter at Cabrera Marie. It's C-A-B-R-E-R-A-M-A-R-I-E or at Cornell Research using the hashtag S-Y-D-E-Y-E-P-O-D or on Instagram at maria.cabrera. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. Bye.